This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We're in Genesis chapter 41, and we are finishing out the story of Joseph and the dreams of Pharaoh. And when I say finishing out, we are getting into what actually ended up happening as a result of Joseph's interpretation of those dreams. And this Bible study is really, it would be Bible study on verses that generally speaking, people would just read through and they would not dig down into them. And generally when I find those verses, I try to dig down and give you something to understand from these verses because God, remember, he's saying something throughout scripture and it's always good for us to grab hold of scripture and look at it and see what God is trying to say to us in the midst of things that don't seem to be, they just don't seem to be interesting to your average normal reader. A lot of times they're just passed over and especially when the Bible is talking about people's family or talking about the nuances of their position or where they're at in the world when it's setting up the rest of the story, we come sometimes miss out on what God's saying. It says, and to Joseph <clears throat> were born two sons before the years of famine came. Now notice, it tells us, first of all, that he had two sons, and he tells us that these two sons came before the trouble came of the famine. <clears throat> now, that's of great importance to uh, take in because he's going to name these two sons something that would not seem to indicate that he was that he was upset. In fact, normally a normal person would think that now that he's attained to the second highest position in Pharaoh's Egypt, and not only that, he has all the power of Pharaoh. He just doesn't have the throne of Pharaoh, which means he, he might as well be Pharaoh, except for he's not in that position. One would think that he would say, I have attained, I've become the second most powerful person in what I understand to be the world. So why would I even care uh, about going back home and uh, being back with my people? I'm going to just uh, take advantage of what God's done here. And I'm not even going to worry about where I used to be from, as well as I do. If you've dealt with people, generally speaking, people, no matter how well they do, no matter how successful they are, generally speaking, there's a call to come home in their heart. And that happens with everyone. And a lot of times when a young person goes off from home, that yearning to be home, that thing that we call homesickness is a struggle for them in the midst of where they're at. And the truth is that's okay. I think young people at some point in time have to be carried away from their family so that they can learn to, to be an adult, to be mature, to handle their business. And not only that, learn to walk with God on their own. I am excited and so happy that my daughters, even though they didn't go far away from home, they set up their own lives when they went off to college. And it has been very maturing for them, very powerful for them as far as their walk with God to have that opportunity to be away from and be out from under the shadow of their parents. 
and and it is it has power and it has strength to it because what you have to do is you got to figure out not only who you are but you got to figure out who God is because oftentimes what you're doing is you're living out the faith of your parents and <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with a biblical and there's nothing wrong with a, a spiritual heritage both of those things are very important. Understanding the Word of God and understanding the walk with God is very important. But when you're in under the wings of someone else's walk, oftentimes you don't learn to walk in your own full power and your own full strength. And being away from family is a positive thing for a young person. I'm not saying forever. I'm just saying for a period of time. That's why so many people have benefited from the military. Because what does the military do to a young person when a young person joins the military? They carry you off somewhere else and you're gone for a long time. And oftentimes those people come back very mature, very grown up. They've learned who they are. They learned who God is. And many times when they come back, they are prepared to serve God and serve God's people far more powerfully than they would have had they been on their own. Now, that does not mean that they did not want to want to come home. That didn't mean that they weren't homesick. That just meant that they needed that time to mature. And this happens. These two sons are born to Joseph during the years before the famine came. And notice whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Now, this is strange. A lot of times, a lot of times when we look at this, we think, well, that's not right. That that shouldn't be done. And what we do is we begin to be legalistic and we begin to read into scripture what's not in what Joseph did was he married someone that was not from his family and not from his faith. Okay? Now did the Bible, had the Bible, or had God told his people, his ancestors, his fathers, his grandfathers, his great-grandfathers, did he tell them not to marry people that were not of their faith? And the answer to that question is, no, he had not told them to do that. He told them not to marry the Canaanites. And those are, that's two totally different things. And uh, the Canaanites are an important group of people in the Old Testament because a lot of people use them as a cudgel, as a hammer, as an axe against God because of his dealings with the Canaanites. Let me say this. We quite clearly see from Genesis that the Canaanites were evil, <clears throat> that their practices were, were an abomination to God. The things that they did, God rejected. And he rejected his people having any relationship with the Canaanites. That being said, God was patient and forbearing, and he allowed their sin to, he allowed it to reach its fullness before he acted in judgment against them. In fact, he allowed his people to languish in slavery in Egypt for 400 years before he actually judged the Canaanites fully for their evil. And so what I want you to see there is oftentimes people will say he committed genocide. He told the Israelites to go and kill, kill the Canaanites and destroy them. Let me say this. That was a result of 400 years of what we don't know. God, it's not written down anywhere, but we don't know the efforts that God made to turn the Canaanites or he would have had, he would have had the Israelites destroy them far earlier than that. And God told, God told Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, do not intermarry with the Canaanites. The truth is that problem with the Canaanites, Esau intermarried with them and his offspring were not a part of the promise. And a lot of the reason they're not a part of the promise is because of Esau, but some of it has to do with his marrying Canaanite women and them being the seed of Canaanites. God was not going to have his people be a part of that. 
On the other hand, Joseph had attained to the second highest position in Egypt. And notice you say, who is this Potiphar, priest of On? Sounds like Potiphar. Some people say it could be Potiphar in one of his other roles. But the truth is this word Potiphar or Potiphar is a word for types of servants that were in the royal household. And this servant was the high priest of On. And who is On is the sun god of Egypt. And he was a priest in their pagan religion. And God gave Joseph a wife that was tied to one of the high families in the Egyptian culture so that he, and listen, if you don't think that there was a little bit scandalous for Joseph to be in the high position of leading and ruling Egypt, being a, a foreigner from a place called Canaan, which is the back country up north of Egypt, and that he was also a servant and then also a prisoner in prison for charges that had left him there for years. And you don't think it was strange for him to take on the high position of running Egypt and then also <clears throat> get to marry into one of the most important families in Egypt. If you don't think that was strange to the Egyptians and a little bit scandalous, you just don't understand. You haven't been you haven't been reading page six very much. You you haven't been watching entertainment tonight enough to understand how 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 the upper crust thinks about things. It would have been the same way in Egypt as it would have been here in the United States if a Kennedy had married someone who just got out of prison, who came from, I don't know, Zimbabwe, somewhere in Costa Rica, somewhere in a small island in the South Pacific, Mongolia, somewhere in, in India or somewhere like that. Nobody knew, poor, came from nothing, no education, nothing to present to themselves. If you don't think that that would have been some, there would have been questions asked if Kennedy did that back 30, 40, 50 years ago, it would have been. And the same thing happened here. That This was a rise, a meteoric rise is what they would say, to power that Joseph was experiencing. And so to understand that, that him getting this wife and having these children was something of a mystery and something that uh, was not normal in that culture. And so it says that he had these two sons, and Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. Now notice, he has attained to this high position. He's come all this way in his life, and he names his firstborn son. By the way, both of these sons are going to end up being two of the named tribes of Israel because one of the tribes is going to be diminished or lose its position because of the sins of their father. He says, Joseph called the firstborn, his firstborn son Manasseh, for God had made me forget all my toil and, and all my father's house. Notice that he is naming his son something that has to do with his journey and his struggle. He's not naming him something. Now, it is a recognition that God has taken care of him, but it's also a recognition that this has not been something that has been easy, and it's not been something that is something that he wanted to happen with his life. It wasn't the desires of his heart that he be taken away from his family, and it wasn't the desires of his heart to go through the great struggle that he went through. But he recognized that God had carried him through it, even though he did not want to experience it. 
And let me tell you something. I identify with this. I heavily identify with this. There's been many roads that my life has taken and many struggles that I've had in my walk with God that I did not desire. I did not desire to be there. I did not desire to experience those things. And I did not want to be away from where I had been before. And God took me to those places. And God sustained me in those places. He matured me in those places. He gave me insights and he gave me understandings that I probably never would have gotten were I to have stayed where I was at. But God stepped in and God gave me insights and God gave me understandings and God placed me in positions where I would grow in a way that I wouldn't have grown before. And I understand that. And that is what Joseph is saying when he names his firstborn son Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Notice, those things were very difficult for him, but God has made him forget those things. Why? The reason is because God's finally gotten him to the place of power, position, and blessing. And I would say to you that um, that's a wonderful story of hope and faith and obedience and definitely the obedience of Joseph with his life. At many turns, he could have turned to his own will in his own way, but he didn't. He didn't. And God ultimately brought him to a place where he forgets those things. And I know that experience too, where you finally get to a place where God is moving, where you feel exactly in the middle of God's will, in the middle of God's power. And you are enjoying that. You are enjoying that. And trust me, if you're in the midst of a struggle, if you're in the midst of difficulty, if you're trying to figure out where in the world you're at, let me say this. You may not know, but God knows exactly where you're at. And he has you there for a reason. And you have to continue to work. Toil. Joseph called it toil. You've got to work. You've got to make it happen. You've got to continue to dig in. You've got to allow this opportunity to grow you, to mature you, to make you whole. You got to do that. And so many people just miss out on God because they're unwilling to figure it out where you're at right now. Trust me, God hadn't lost you. You're not wandering out somewhere where God doesn't know where you're at. He doesn't have a all points bulletin, the APB out on you. There's not going to be, God's not going to have anybody putting up posters on light poles in grocery stores and in in gas stations, where you are, you're missing out there. He doesn't know where you're at. Trust me, he knows exactly where you're at and he puts you exactly where you're at so that he could make you fully into who he designed you to be. And so you need to understand that that's going to work its purpose and its will out. And finally, when you become, when you figure it out, when you become fully mature in the position that you're in, he's going to he's gonna sit you right in the right spot. And boy, then you will have forgotten your toil and you'll forgotten your father's house and all the things that you were missing and all the things you were struggling for. And you will be right in the middle of God's will. Let me say this. It's worth it. Can I say that to you? It's worth it. My my one of my uh, my first pastor when I went into the ministry, we uh, met one time and he said, "Chad, your twenties were terrible." And the more I sat there and thought about it, they were rough. My twenties were rough. He said, 
But your 30s were difficult too, but they weren't as bad as your 20s. And the more I thought about it, he said, I thought, yeah, that's right. I'd already had my two children and they'd finally got out of diapers and finally got out of crying about everything and crying through the night. And they were finally on their way to school age. And my 30s were better. They weren't great. They had a business fail and I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, I was struggling in different locations as a pastor and uh, trying to figure out what God's purpose was for me. He said, now your 40s are way better than your 30s. And you know what? They have been a lot better than my 30s. And he says, now, let me tell you something. When you get to your 50s, your 50s is going to be way better than your 40s. And your 60s is going to be way better than your 50s. And let me tell you something. He said, I'm right now in my 70s and my 70s are way better than my 60s. And I think that's true because the more you walk with God, the more you mature, the more God is using you and using the things that he's invested, that he's planted, that he's put that good deposit in you, the more he's done that for you, boy, the better things get. And you can expect that for yourself. So you keep struggling and you keep moving forward. And I promise you, God's going to God's gonna make life better and better for you. And even though there'll still be struggles, you'll, you, but you'll be mature and you'll all have been down those roads and you'll be able to help and handle those things in ways that you couldn't do when you were 20 because you were just lost and you didn't know how to use all that God had equipped you with. And the truth is he was continuing to equip you with and you're going to be better at it. He says, uh, and then the name of his second, he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, I think of this on a global scale, that we are in the land of the, we are in the valley of the shadow of death that King David called this world. We are in this struggle, as, as the Apostle Paul says, who can deliver me from this body of death? I think of those things and the idea of this world being a world of struggle. And it is, it's a world of difficulty. It's a world of toil. It's a world of pain. It's not easy. And it requires, it boy, it requires a lot of courage to, to live in this world that we live in. But I will say this, fear not because he's with you. And he's not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a sound mind. Second Timothy chapter one says that. And so we should not live by that spirit of fear. And we should not live in that, in that mindset of loss and mindset of, of imminent doom. We shouldn't do that. And so he says, he's, he named his second son. God calls me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And of all the promises of God, maybe that's one of the best ones, isn't it? Isn't it a wonderful promise of God that, that no matter how bad things are, no matter how afflicted I feel, no matter how difficult my struggle is, God has caused me to be fruitful in the midst of it. <clears throat> and if you'll think about it, you have been. You're sitting there going, man, I got three, four, five children. My my life, I go from diapers to messes to whining to crying. I feel like I'm dying. What you fail to recognize is that fruit that you're working on, that those buds of fruit that are your children, one day will be your greatest blessing. One day they'll be your greatest reward. One day they'll graduate high school and they'll have their own children. And your life is going to be far better than you could ever imagine. And it seems like it's just painful in the moment. It's just painful today. But I promise you, tomorrow's coming. And, and your toil and your labor in the midst of that is going to be great. And maybe you say, I hate my job and I hate my situation. Trust me, your promotion's coming. And your place, what God's using to teach you in the midst of whatever you're in, as far as your job is, 
He's going to he's going to bring you out of it and bring you to the fruitful land, to the best and the and the most exciting of times of your life. That's coming. And uh, you are being fruitful in the midst of your affliction means, can you imagine when you're not in that affliction anymore, how fruitful you're going to be? going to be, life's just going to be powerful for you. And so I love that Joseph named his son that. Both, notice both of his sons recognize the struggle, recognize the trouble, recognize what has happened in his life. But they also recognize that God was in the middle of it. Notice, of, for God has caused me, for God has made me. Those are the first, those names mean for God has done these things. And then it recognizes the struggle of life and we're all in it. You're going to be in it and you're going to, you're going to be overcoming in it too, by the way. He's made us more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And you are one and you may not feel like it this morning and you might be wiping the matter out of your eyes and thinking, oh, Lord, I got another week to go through. It's, it is the week God made for you this week. And today is the day God made for you. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.